From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Megan Fury. This time, a lost dog gets very, very lucky. And then all of a sudden, one of the kids yells back to their dad, hey, dad, there's a dog here. And it's like, what? (laughs) There's not a dog here. Perryville, Missouri is small, less than 8,500 people. It lies just east of the Mississippi River and, by all accounts, is pretty rural and sleepy. It's a great place to live if you love hunting, fishing, and, maybe surprisingly, caving. Perryville, Missouri, where I'm located, has uh, basically 10% of the caves in the entire state of Missouri, so we've got roughly 700 That's Gary Keene. He's been exploring caves for over a decade and loves it. Caves in general are just amazing, amazing things. Uh, You go down, time means nothing. Uh, You're just in a different world, a world most people don't see. I like to think of it as you're you're seeing creation. I mean, you're, you're seeing God's work in front of you. I have literally been six inches from a million-year-old formation. You know, something that's a million years old, and I'm just looking at this thing. There's nowhere on Earth you can see that other than in the cave systems. It challenges you physically, emotionally. You have to be slightly crazy like we are to do this as a hobby. Gary says it's exciting because he never knows what he's going to find. I've helped some farmers pull a cow, a calf out of a cave. Weird stuff that's washed into a cave, you know, like a purse. (laughs) But the oddest thing Gary's ever found? A dog. That was definitely the most unexpected. Okay, let's back up, specifically to August 6th, 2022. Gary was leading a recreational trip through the Tom Moore cave system. There were 11 people in total, including himself, and half of them were children. So while the trip was kid-friendly, it's still challenging. The cave system is about 22 miles long. The route they were exploring was tight and narrow, with only a few places along the way big enough to stand upright in. Once you enter, it's pitch black and requires headlamps. In other words, it's not a great place to be if you're claustrophobic. Basically, you start with a what's called a belly crawl, where basically you're crawling on your belly. It's entertaining. It takes about 15 minutes to get through that entrance and navigate all the various challenges to get down. The caves are wet, they're muddy, so then you're in the water. So we got through all that, and the kids are all up front. And we get to the walking passage, and we're going about five minutes into it. And then all of a sudden, one of the kids yells back to their dad, hey, dad, there's a dog here. It's like, what? There's not a dog here. Gary didn't believe it at first. 
They were about 500 feet underground and deep inside the cave system. Many of the passageways were almost vertical and tough to navigate. It just seemed impossible that a dog would have gotten down there on its own. But when Gary went to go look, there she was. She was curled up, just laying there. There's 11 people going by this dog, and all she does is pick up her head and look at us. She won't get up. She won't respond. Nothing. It was obvious she wasn't in a very good situation. You know, I was trying to get verbal commands to her, see if she'd move or come with us. She just wouldn't move at all. The dog was just laying there. Its nails were long and sharp, indicating it probably hadn't moved in a while. Gary had no idea how a dog could have ended up there, but it was stuck. There was no obvious way for it to get out on its own. It became pretty clear that the dog was in no shape to follow them out of the cave. So after some discussion, the group decided to send Gary back to the surface to get help. Gary snapped a photo of the dog and set off. He estimated it would take him about 20 minutes to get out of the cave. So I had to go back up that complex entrance. And when I get up to the surface, there's nobody there. So here I am on the cave site with zero human beings. It's like, okay, now what? Gary decided to try and find the owner. There were a few houses nearby, so he just started knocking on doors. The second door that I knocked on, that gentleman, it wasn't his dog, but he was willing to start making phone calls, neighbors he knew to see if anybody was missing a dog. Gary headed back, still unsure what to do. But by a stroke of luck, Rick Haley emerged from the cave entrance. Rick's an extraordinary experienced caver. Uh, so I told him, oh, good. Rick, you're here. You're drafted. We have to go rescue your dog. And he didn't bat an eyelid. That's when Gary came upon me and said, oh, we've got a dog rescue to do. And I was like, oh, okay. So and having never done this before, you have to think about how to package the dog in case it's injured and can't get out. And so I thought uh, the only thing I have is a moving blanket and a red duffel bag. And so I grabbed that and went into the cave with Gary. At that particular point, when you start, is very tight and kind of vertical corkscrew goes down about 40, 50 feet where after just a little bit of crawling and walking, you find a stranded dog. The original caving group that Gary Keene was leading had moved on to finish their tour, but one of the kids had left behind their lantern. Rick could see the dog was in bad shape. You know, she didn't follow the group out or anything like that. I think she was just too weak. And after I did a pasty assessment, she didn't have any injuries that 
were apparent. It was merely she had suffered a starvation. And that's how I found her. She smelled awful. The worst smelling dog I have ever seen. At that point, we assessed that she just needs to get out of the cage. And so we decided to see if she could walk on a leash. And she took about five steps and put on the brakes and said, nope, not walking. So we laid out that duffel bag, put the blanket in it, and when we did that, she took a couple of steps and sat on it. And that's probably because she realized this is warm, dry, and soft. It was the best thing she had seen in a long time. And so she stepped on it, and then we ushered her into that duffel bag, wrapped her up in a blanket, zipped it up with her head sticking out. We thought maybe she might struggle. Once she got into the duffel bag, she realized this is a better situation than I've been dealing with. And she basically surrendered to us, said, get me out of here. And that's when we decided to start moving her. Hand over hand, passing her, trying to keep her out of the water, Finally got to that part of the cave where you have to go vertical. And we just passed her from him to me up through that passage. Whereupon she was out in the daylight. Her eyes were dilated because she was in the cave for so long that she probably was pretty much blinded by daylight. It had taken a few hours, but Rick and Gary had pulled off a successful rescue. They had hauled the dog up through a series of narrow vertical passages, often crawling on their stomachs through rivers of mud. But it was worth it to get the dog out. It would have died in there otherwise. But there was still a lot of questions remaining. How did the dog end up in the cave in the first place? How did she survive? And whose dog was it? Well, I'm Jeff Boner. I'm from Perryville, Missouri. Lived here all my life. Abby's kind of my daughter's childhood dog. She wanted a dog, so I finally gave in. Jeff's daughter is in her early 20s now which makes Abby about 13 years old at the time of her rescue. Still has lots of energy and loves to get out and go to the farm with me and go run around in the woods. Jeff has another dog named Summer, and she and Abby do everything together. You could say they're partners in crime. They conspire with each other at times. Jeff says they often try to get away from him while on walks or sneak out of the house. And on June 9th, 2022, they succeeded. However, at first, Jeff wasn't too worried. If they're both out at the same time or loose, well, they're going to take off and maybe back in an hour, maybe a day. Eventually, Summer returned, but Abby didn't. 
This was unusual, as the two were almost never apart. Hours passed, then days, and there was no sign of Abby anywhere. It was time to worry. Jeff called the local police, the animal shelter, contacted neighbors, and posted about Abby on Facebook. But it yielded nothing, and Jeff started to fear the worst. So right away, I knew something had happened to her. It was pretty hot that day. Figured that Abby at her age, she had just, you know, died or something out there. So, you know, after time went on, well, then it's like I always just wondered, well, what happened to her? You know, I didn't know. Two whole months passed with no word. Jeff resigned himself to the fact that he may never know what happened. Then, one day, he heard from a neighbor that a dog had been found in a nearby cave. I said, ah, there's uh, no way that's Abby, but just out of curiosity, I'm going to drive back to the cave. So I got back there, and Jerry happened to be out. He showed me a picture. of like, oh, my goodness. This is Abby. It was her. Jeff couldn't believe it. He also couldn't believe where they had found her. In that particular cave entrance, I can see it from my house. Jeff jumped in his truck and drove over. There she was, uh, standing on her own power. She was uh, just down to skin and bones. I mean, she just lived off her fat reserves, I guess. I mean, there's nothing down there to eat. Super light, I'd say she had lost at least 30 pounds. Probably about a 50-pound dog, maybe, to begin with. So pretty much just weighed whatever her bones in her skin weighed. Abby was in pretty bad shape. Honestly, it's incredible she survived, especially considering her age. And she was famished. Here's Gary Keene again, the one who was leading the original group that found her. My friend had a beef stick, and it was absolutely hysterical because she was so starving, he didn't get the plastic off quick enough, and she almost ate his entire arm. <laughs> oh, she was wonderful. Good pup. Abby can't tell her own story, so it's always going to be a mystery how she ended up down there and how she survived. But everyone seems to have a different theory. There's plenty of water in the cave. Luckily, there was no flooding. She would have been in trouble. She just kind of went in survival mode, kind of a hibernation. We don't know how long she was in the cave. She could have been in the cave that entire time. I kind of doubt it. I, I suspect a week, maybe two. Her owner, Jeff, disagrees. He was definitely down there for the whole time, or she'd have came home. Rick Haley has his own theory. Likely was chasing a raccoon and fell in a 15-foot pit entrance and could not get out. We know where that pit entrance is. And so there's very little in, in the way of wildlife that she could eat. 
but there is a lot of coon feces, so it is possible that she could have been eating coon poop. However Abby survived, we'll never know. But she was safe and ready to go home. Over the next few weeks, Rick and his wife doted on Abby. She was thin and had lost her voice, likely from barking for help in the cave. Slowly, she started gaining weight, and then she started barking again. After a few months, Abby was almost back to her old self. Here's her owner, Jeff, again. She uh, pretty much has recovered back to, to where she was. She used to be able to jump in my truck. I have to pick her up and put her in there now. As Abby was recovering, the media got wind of the story, and suddenly, Jeff found himself bombarded with interview requests. First, I didn't really want to do any at all. And talked with my daughter, Rachel, some, and she said, Dad, there's always bad news on the news, and this is a fun, good story, so... I thought about that and decided, yeah, you're right. I'll just do as many as people want to do. So I just haven't turned anybody down. None of us have. Rick and Jerry and myself, we talked about it and we just decided, hey, we're not in this for anything. Let's just do it because it's a fun story for a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, diehard pet lovers out there and it touched a lot of hearts kind of grew a relationship after that because we were doing a lot of interviews. The story's been all the way around the world. Jeff's not kidding. The three men did interviews with media in Canada, Europe, Australia, Japan, and all across the U.S., including a feature on Access Hollywood. Even a year later, Jeff says he's still getting calls about it including from me. My favorite part about this is that Abby doesn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes me always wonder what she was thinking when she was down there, you know. I and mean, most people would come out of a situation like that probably a little uh, nutty after being down there for that long. It's a feel-good story, and people are looking for that, you know, a happy ending story. The media frenzy has died down, and life has pretty much gone back to normal, which Jeff is fine with. Well, I guess if one goes missing, you know, at least one place to check. <laughs> well, I doubt that'll happen again, but I know the best place to check. <laughs> <laughs> Our storytellers today were Gary Keene, Rick Haley, and Jeff Boner. Abby is now 14 and living her best life. She still pals around with Summer, but Jeff keeps a close eye on them. And he says they've been good about staying home. Mostly. 
For photos from this episode, make sure you're following us on social media. We're at Human Nature Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Human Nature Pod. And if you haven't already, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. It really helps out the show and helps more people discover us. I'm Megan Fury. This episode was produced by me, with help from Stephen Carroll. Our theme song is by Kata Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.